I have to tell you something funny that happened to me a few years ago in church when I was still a, a young, skinny, wet-behind-the-ears youth pastor. We had, we had just been called to, uh, to a small country church, oh, three or four weeks earlier, and they said, okay, we got us a youth pastor now, let's, let's put them to work, let's have youth Sunday. And so um, um, we, we came in and I was working with the youth group, and we were getting them to do uh, some, some creative movements, you know, playing, a, playing some music and letting them get up and worship and stuff. And uh, we were there on a Saturday morning rehearsing, and the lady that came by to clean the church that day was, was one of, the, of the, the blue-haired ladies in the church. You know what I'm talking about, right? She'd been there, you know, she probably was there when, when Joshua crossed the Jordan River. And, and she heard music in the sanctuary, and she came in, and her eyes got as big as saucers. And she said, no, no, stop, stop, stop. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, you can't dance in a Baptist church. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, I looked that lady straight in the eye and said, oh, you misunderstood. We're not dancing. We're doing creative interpretation of Christian music. And she said, oh, well, go right ahead then. (laughs) Who the sun sets free is free indeed. We are free. We are free. Today, we, if you've got your Bibles, and I know I gave you out a few weeks ago a handout of, of the way that I felt God was calling us to move forward in our preaching. Well, God had a little bit different plans. He took one of those sermons out, so I apologize, but we're in the last part of the book of Joshua today, in Joshua chapter 24. But before we get there, before we get there, you can start looking ahead if you want, but before we get there, I need four volunteers this morning don't ever whoever sneezed that's one (laughs) it's like at an auction (laughs) you make a noise you got a piece of paper (laughs) and you get to pick out you get to pick out the other three oh never mind here's one here's two one more here we go four here everybody needs a piece of paper and everybody needs something to write with all right so it's a real simple quiz It's a real simple quiz. I need all four of you to turn around and look at me. So here's what I have. I have a container with pennies in it. All right, I'm going to pour them slowly so you can try to count how many I'm pouring. All right, here we go. Ready? Write down how many pennies there are. To the best of your knowledge, write down how many pennies there are. All right, there's a two-part quiz. I forgot to tell you there was a two. There's a second part of this quiz. The second part of this quiz is I need you to write down the best flavor of ice cream. The best flavor of ice cream. Just one, Katie, sorry. (laughs) And a banana split with three scoops doesn't count. The best flavor of ice cream. (laughs) See, he didn't jump up, so. All right, all right, you all can have a seat. Thank you all for your participation in today's quiz. Let me just move this stuff out of the way, otherwise I'm going to be tripping all over it. All right, so we have how many coins are in the basket? All right, we have 70 and 75 
and 142 and 175. 70, 75, 142, and 175. Well, I have to tell you this. The good news is if you were contestants on The Price is Right, none of you overbid. None of you overbid. Who bid 175? You are the closest to the actual retail price. Yeah, uh, 268 was how many pennies there were in there. $2.68. All right, all right. How do I know that there were 268 pennies in that container? <laughs> it doesn't matter. He's still going to be closer. <laughs> I know that because I counted them. And I know that because I put them in there. There is no arguing about that number, is there? Well, you can argue if you want. There's 268 pennies there. All right? That's it. There's no, there's no debate. We could pull them out and count them one by one. But that's on your time, not mine. Now let's look at the other question. I asked him a second question. The second question was quite simply this. What flavor is the best flavor of ice cream? None of them got it right. None of them got it right. One of them got close, but none of them got it right. One person said vanilla. One person said chocolate. One person said strawberry. We could please all three of them with one box, right? One person said pistachio. <laughs> Chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, and pistachio. None of you got it right, though. None of you got it right. On the count of three, come on, church, let's help them out. On the count of three, everybody tell them what the best flavor of ice cream is. One, two, three. Okay. That is subjective, isn't it? Some people might like chocolate, and some like strawberry. Some might like vanilla, and some like pistachio. Some like Rocky Road. Rocky Road. You got, come on, chocolate, nuts, and marshmallows? Come on. It doesn't get any better than that. If I have my choice when we're walking down through the grocery aisle, that's my choice. Now, that's if I have my choice. Sometimes I don't get my choice, most of the time, especially when it comes to ice cream. But that's okay. That's okay. That's my choice. That's subjective. 268 pennies is not subjective. Rocky Road, strawberry, pistachio, vanilla, chocolate, that's subjective. And I'll be honest with you, Rocky Road wasn't always my favorite flavor of ice cream. It's only after I became a pastor that it became my favorite flavor of ice cream, and I don't know what the significance there is, but it's subject to change as, as our tastes change. Now, let, let me ask you a question. Let's pop that next slide up. Let me ask you a question. How is this generation of believers choosing who or what to serve? How is this generation of believers choosing who or what to serve? Is it based on concrete fact? Like the pennies in the jar? Or is it based on subjective feelings that are subject to change no matter how the wind blows in society? How is this generation of, how are you? How am I? How are we? How are the people outside these walls that we're expecting to reach for Christ going to choose who or what to serve? Based on how we feel or based on the truth of the Scripture? 
That's the question that we've got to figure out as we begin next month on May the 15th, as we begin that week to take the good news of Jesus Christ outside of the walls of the church, out into the communities, out in the the prayer rallies, out in the streets, out knocking on the doors. That's what we've got to determine. How do we decide who we believe? How do we decide what we believe? And, and, And if you're going to decide what you believe based on what I tell you, that's still subjective to some extent. Base what you believe on the truth of the Scripture. Turn with me, if you will, to Joshua. We're going to be very, very, at the very end of the book. It's the sixth book. It's right next to the last chapter here. Chapter 24. And let me give you a little bit of background before we get there. Because we jumped ahead quite a bit. Lots gone on since last week. Since we found trouble in the camp, a lot has happened. Joshua was the, one of the last ones of his generation that was still alive. And he was the last one that was still alive and active in the camp. Joshua and Caleb were the last two. Caleb had retired. The Bible tells us that Caleb retired. He found his retirement plan. He got a place out in the city or out in the country. He got his, he got his retirement plan. Joshua, at this point in his life, is 110 years old. But I bet you if he was here, Katie would have used him for Bible school, right? (laughs) At 110, I wouldn't turn Joshua down. (laughs) No, sir. No, ma'am. He had come a long way since he and Caleb were two of the youngest spies that had been sent into the promised land. They had been 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Moses had died, he who had led them out of Egypt. Uh, they crossed the Jordan River. And these are things that we've talked about over the last few weeks. And if, you're, if, you, if you'd missed it, then you can go back into the website and pick it up. They had been consecrated as a people. They had experienced Passover in the promised land for the very first time in a brand new way they had experienced passover with the fruit of the land they had seen the walls of jericho fall down at this point they had gone and attacked the city of ai we talked about that last week and failed miserably but then gone back and accomplished what it was once they removed the sin from the camp they the rest of the book of joshua from about chapter 10 through chapter 22 tells of the conquest of the promised land And it tells exactly how God led them through. He led them up to the north, and they defeated all of the the communities in the north. He led them to the south. He took them all the way to the west, to the Mediterranean, all the way east to the Jordan River. And they established the country, the, the community of Israel, the light of the world, from whom Jesus would come years later. They established that community of believers there in the promised land that God had given to them. They divided up the land. The last five or six chapters before the the one that we're going to be looking at today, they divided up the land and each tribe got this portion and this tribe got this portion and this tribe got this portion. If you think about it in today's day, if we were dividing up the community of Crothersville, we'd probably divide it into fourths. And, and, and I would let, you know, one group go attack this fourth. Well, not attack, but attack spiritually. And another group, you go to this one and this one, and you go to this one. And then within your groups, you divide up and, all right, we're going to take these two or three streets. You're going to take those two or three streets. And we're going to just claim them for Christ. And that's kind of where they are. 
In chapter 23, Joshua gives his farewell address. He brings in all of the elders, all of the leaders, all of the, 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 the family elders, and then he brings in all of the people, and he gives his farewell address. Joshua calls the people of Israel, and Joshua calls us today to do three things as we seek to serve him in the promised promised land that he has given us. The first thing that Joshua does is he calls us to remember. He calls us to remember. In verses 1 through 13, he calls the people as he's bringing them into this covenant agreement. He calls them to remember everything that he has done to them and for them. Now, I'm going to read these verses to you, and I'm going to especially emphasize everything that God has done for them. God brings them to this point where they are getting ready to make the choice for the new generation, and he wants to remind them before they make the choice of everything that he's done for them. And so in Joshua chapter 24, we read this, Joshua assembled all of the tribes of Israel at Shechem, and he summoned Israel's elders, leaders, judges, and officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord the God of Israel says, and now we get quotation marks. This is what God says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates rivers and worshiped other gods. Now that's where it starts. But I took your father Abraham from the region beyond the Euphrates. I led him throughout the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave the hill country of Seir to Esau as his possessions, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Did you see all that God did? God, all, God brought Abraham out from the land of the gods of the Euphrates. And God gave him Canaan and let him walk around. And then he gave him a family and he gave them a family and he gave one of them a hill country and the other one he went with to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt by what I did there and afterward I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you reached the Red Sea and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen as far as the sea, your fathers cried out to the Lord. So he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought you over them, over, brought the sea over them, and your own eyes saw what I did to Egypt. After that, you lived in the wilderness for a long time. That's the 40 years. Later, God continues on and says, I brought you to the land of the Amorites who live beyond the Jordan. They fought against you, but I handed them over to you. You possessed their land, and I annihilated them before you. Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, set out to fight against Israel. He sent for Balaam, son of Baor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Instead, he repeatedly blessed you, and I delivered you from his hand. Boy, God has done a lot for Israel, hasn't he? God has done such an awful lot. And God wants them to remember what it was. And now to the generation that's standing before Joshua, to the two million or so people that are standing before Joshua, it gets personal. It gets personal. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The people of Jericho, as well as the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites fought against you. But I 
handed them over to you. I sent the hornet ahead of you, and it drove out the two Amorite kings before you. It was not by your sword. It was not by your bow. I gave you a land you didn't labor for. And I gave you cities that you didn't build, though you live in them. You were eating from vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant. What God is saying here to the, to the Israelites is quite simply this. I have brought you to this place. Joshua, my favored one, is about to pass on. And you're going to go home and you're going to live your daily life. And you're going to go through the routine of planting crops and raising crops and defending cities and, and, and establishing the kingdom of God where it is that you have been placed by clans, by tribes, by clans and by families you're going to have to go on and do what it is and while you're out there doing it remember where i brought you from remember where i brought you from church it's no different for us today it is no different from us today because you see if god were here today which he is he would tell you which he is remember where it is that i brought you from and remember what it is that i have done what did God do for you? You know, I could set a microphone up right here, right down here, right now, grab one of these and put it down here, and we could probably spend the rest of the day talking about the goodness of what it is that God did for us. God, just let me give you just a, a, a brief little bit. God reached down to someone whose mind and thoughts and visions were disrupted were clouded by many things. God reached down farther than God ever would have had to have reached down. He reached down through hurt. He reached down through pain. He reached down through rejection. He reached down through drugs and alcohol. He reached down as far as God would go, and then He reached further. And that's where God found me. That's where God found me. He lifted me up out of the mire. And He set my feet upon the rock. That's where He found me. And I could put a microphone up here and I could bring all of you up here. He brought me from broken relationships, Pastor. He brought me from poverty. He brought me from depression. He brought me from spirits of darkness that had uncovered my mind and my spirit. He brought me from whatever it is that He brought. I don't know where He brought you from, but I know this. He brought you. And when He calls you to make a commitment to Him, remember, I'm not who I was. Or I'm not who I am. I'm not, I, I'm not who I'm going to be. I'll get it in a minute. I'm not who I'm going to be. But I'm not who I was. And I don't have to walk through all of that stuff. And I don't have to go back through all of that stuff. The only time I go back to those things is to go grab someone else. That's the only time I go back. That's the only time I go back. Why? Because I am free. What set me free? God at work in my past. That's what set me free. And if I'm going to live for Him today, it behooves me. If you're going to live for Him, it is imperative. If we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, we should never forget to remember what God brought us from. And so God reminds them all the way back to Abraham, He reminds them. 
all the way back to their beginning of the beginning of the beginning. Hundreds of years of history. He just reminded them. Reminded them it wasn't you, church. It was me. I brought you. I delivered you. I did it. Everything you have is because you were obedient and walked where I already was. To some of the most... Precious verses in the Older Testament. And there's a lot of precious verses in the Older Testament. Joshua, 110 years old, standing on the side of a mountain, looks out over two million people that he has been allowed to lead from the wilderness to the promised land. From eating manna and quail to living on the fruits of the land of milk and honey. From picking up tents every morning to living in a house that they didn't build. Joshua looks at him and he says this, I'm getting ready to retire, you all. I'm retiring to glory. I'm, I'm leaving you. I'm not even going to a retirement home. I'm not even going to sunny Florida. I'm gone. In just a few days, Joshua was going to be no more. And he told him this, Therefore, fear the Lord and worship Him in sincerity. I'm in verse 14. In sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and worship Yahweh. But if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship. The gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. We're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there because, because I, have to, I have to set this up for you. Worship or fear the Lord and worship Him in sincerity and in truth. Fear the Lord and worship Him in sincerity and in truth. In sincerity, he says, worship Him in completeness. Worship Him entirely with accord of the truth and the fact of who He is. We don't worship God based on the flavor of ice cream that we like today. We don't worship God based on what He's done for me yesterday or what, he's going, what I'm going through today or what I hope He's going to do for tomorrow. We worship God because He alone is worthy to be worshipped. That's why we worship God. Worship God in sincerity. Worship the truth that is God. The God who doesn't change. The God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are to worship God completely. We are to worship God entirely. We are to worship God fully in sincerity, but we're also to worship God in truth. Worship God in stability. Worship the God who is firm. Worship the God who is reliable. When your world falls apart, is what Joshua is telling them. When, 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 when the enemies come back and want their houses, you serve a God who is firm. You serve a God who is truth. I just can't fathom the beginning of verse 14. I just can't fathom. Actually, the end of verse 14. <laughs> he just recounted for 13 verses 500 years of their lives. Everything that he had done for them. And then he says this, Get rid of the gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt. What? Are you serious? Get rid of the gods? You know what that means, don't you? 
that means they had God plus. That means they worshiped the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They worshiped the God of Moses. They worshiped the God of the Red Sea. They worshiped the God of manna and quail. But they also had another thing in their pocket. They also had their own personal little protection in their pocket. You see, they worshiped God, but they worshiped plus. And we sit there and we wonder, how can they go through what they have been through? How can they have gone from the place that they were to the place that they are? Slaves in Egypt to free men in new homes with beautiful land. And still worship other gods. Let's not be too harsh and too critical to judge them. Let's not be too harsh and too critical to judge them without first looking at ourselves. How can I go from where I was to where I am and still have another God? How can I, how, how can I get from where God rescued me and, and still not be 100% for Him? And, and still hold on to a little bit. God, I love you, but I want to make this decision. I want to, want to do this my way. Oh, I can't fathom how they could have other gods, but I can't fathom how we could have other gods too. You know, in today's society, we have the gods of Hollywood, fame and popularity. Oh, I don't want to be on a magazine cover, but I do like it when somebody compliments me. Got to watch out for that though. Oh, oh, what about the gods of Wall Street in New York City? What about the gods of Wall Street in New York City? Well, I don't worship Wall Street in New York City and bear markets and bull markets. Yeah, but we do hold on to, 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 to wealth, don't we? We do want to keep a little bit for ourselves. And God said, it's all mine. It's all mine, but we want to hold on to a little bit. What, what about the gods of Washington, D.C.? Well, Lord, Pastor, I'm never going to wa- worship the gods of Washington, D.C. But do you see what Washington, D.C. represents? It represents power. And it represents control. And it represents authority. And any time you take power or control or authority for your life away from God and what God wants you to do, you're grabbing a little G God right there and you're putting it in your pocket. And you're saying, God, you can have 99.9% of me, but I want a little bit. And that's not what God wants. God wants all of us. God wants us to bring us to a place of repentance. The God who has provided the God who is providing, and the God who will provide. Choose this day who you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we will do everything that we can, church, to drive idols out of our family. The idols of fame, the idols of power, the idols of financial stability and dependence upon ourselves. Because you see, that's not what God wants. What God wants, and I've preached this verse over the last few weeks, is what's found in the book of Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You know, it's something interesting happens. When Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, the people of Israel, two million people strong, said this, 
The people replied, we will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. For the Lord our God brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, and performed these great signs before our eyes. He also protected us along the way we went. And among all the peoples whose lands we traveled through, the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will worship the Lord because he is our God. And any sane pastor right then would have had an altar call, and two million people would have converted right then. Right? But see, Joshua didn't go to the same seminary that a lot of pastors today go to. Because Joshua immediately said this. But Joshua told the people, you will not be able to worship God because He is a holy God. You can't do it! I'm not going to read all of those passages, but, but, but suffice it to say that they insist and they declare not one time, not two times, but three times, we will worship God. In verse 18, we will worship God. In verse 21, we will worship God. In verse 24, we will choose to worship God. It's three times. It's binding. In Old Testament uh, practice, in in common society of the Old Testament, if you said something three times, it was binding. And on the third time, Joshua tried to talk them out of it twice. On the third time, they said, we will worship God. We repent. And Joshua said, all right, you have remembered who it is that brought you out. You have repented and chosen to worship God and take everything else and put it aside. Now let's recommit ourselves. Over in verse 25, on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people at Shechem. And he established a statute and an ordinance for them. Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. He also took a large stone and set it up there under the oak next to the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, you see this stone? It will be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words the Lord said to us, and it will be a witness against you so that you will not deny your God. Joshua gave them a statute and an ordinance. And then he took a stone, a great big stone. And I had thought about maybe going out. You know how I love to just get things and, and, and bring them out to, as visual object lessons. And I had thought about going out and getting a great big, great big old creek stone. But they're heavy. They're meant to, when you put them there, they're meant not to move. And, and, and I figured if God put it in the creek, I ain't moving it. Plus, it wouldn't have fit in my office. If you've gone into my office, you've realized that most of the toys that I've brought up here over the last several months are on a bookshelf somewhere. You know, the weather rock is on a bookshelf, and the stick is on a bookshelf, and all these other things are on the bookshelf. And, 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 and Trina's probably going to wonder when I'm going to quit collecting toys in my office. But like I said, these great big rocks, they were meant to, to stay. And, and I have a feeling that it took more than Joshua to go pick up that rock. And, and, and several of the guys that were there probably went and picked this rock up, probably went down into a creek bed and carried it up to this mountain and put it there at the tree. An out-of-place rock at the base of a tree in a place where it shouldn't have been. Why? Why would God have caused Joseph or Joshua to pick that up and to put it there? so that they would remember. 
You see, for generations to come, that rock stayed there. And I can imagine, I can imagine a week or two or a month or a year later, some little boy, maybe Marcus's age, walking with his dad on the way from one city to the next. And they, they started to walk down this path and they got to this great big tree up on the side of a hill and this great big rock seemed out of place was set there and, 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 and little Marcus would have looked up and said, hey, what, what, is, what is, daddy, what is that rock there for? What is that rock there for? And, and, and I could have looked at him and said, listen, son, I was there the day that rock was brought up. Let me tell you what happened the day that rock was brought up. Let me tell you what happened. We recommitted ourselves to God. We recommitted ourselves as a nation to God. What does that mean, Daddy? Well, let me tell you what that means. It means we remembered what God had brought us from. It means we repented and asked God to be our God, and we said that we would worship Him. We would worship Him. We would worship Him alone. And Joshua, who's Joshua? We'll get there. Joshua called some men, and they went down, and they got this rock, and they put it there. And I recommitted my life to God on that day in that place. Now let's hurry up and go to the grocery store. Mama needs some eggs. Maybe, maybe it was 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 years later. And a father was walking by with his son, and the son looked up and saw that same rock sitting under that same tree on that same hillside. And said, Daddy, what is that? He said, you know what? I wasn't there, but my grandpa told me a story about a time when the people recommitted themselves. Well, why did they recommit themselves? Because they remembered what that God had done for them. And, and at this time, in this place, God moved, and grandpa remembered. He was one of the ones that brought this rock up. And Grandpa remembered bowing down before God. And, and they made a stand on that day in that place. We will serve the Lord. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's two, three, four hundred years. And you don't have to flip far in the Bible. You only have to flip to Judges chapter 2 to understand just how far and just how quick Israel fell. They forgot everything in about two generations. Maybe a hundred years, two hundred years later, two strangers or two, two, two journeymen were walking down the road and they saw a rock sitting on a tree. Maybe they sat down to have their lunch and sat down on that rock. And one of them got to thinking, I wonder what this rock means. I don't know. It's odd that it's up here though, isn't it? Yeah, it is odd that it's up here. It should be way down there in the valley where the creek runs, where the river runs, but instead it's up here by this tree. Huh. wonder what it means. I don't know what it means, but I do know this. I do know this. If you take this rock and take it out of place and put it up here, you know what it means? It means God moved. It means God moved. It means God moved in that place whenever it was. God moved. Today, in a few minutes, we're going to be called to be a people of action. God is a God of action. God went through the first 13 verses and said, look what I have done for you. Look what I have done for you. I have brought you out of so many things. God wants us to make a decision for Him. God wants us to make 
take an action statement. Now listen, church, listen up real carefully. I'm going to go through these things very quickly. And if you don't get them, then come get with me and I'll, I'll, I'll get them to you. There are some ingredients that you're going to have to go through to make a true decision for God. Number one, you must be willing to quit straddling the fence. You must be willing to quit straddling the fence. You can't serve God and God's. You can't serve God, the God of, 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 um, who rescued us from sin, and also the other gods that you have in your heart. Either enter the world and live by the world standard or make a decision to follow God without reservation. Because that's the person that God can use. The person that sets up and says, I'm willing to quit dependent upon myself. A decision, number two, a decision for Christ must not be made lightly. God said, I don't want you to worship me 90% of the time and these other gods 10% of the time. We must choose. Joshua told them, choose today who you will serve. Either the gods over there, the gods over there, or the big G God who is right here. We must not make it lightly though. Three, we must be willing to go public with our faith. We must be willing to go public with our faith. Let me, let me tell you something. It's all good and well that God has reached down into the slimy mud pit and, and picked you up and put you on a rock. And it's all good and well that God has done that for the vast majority of those of us in this place today. But God saving me does no good for the person in that house right there. It does no good for the, the kid in the school over there. It does no good for the person going into the food pantry or the closed cottage if I don't go public with my faith, if I don't share my faith, if I don't share my story. And I think for too long we've been just willing to open the doors and say, come in and sit and hear. But God says, go out and tell and pro proclaim and preach. Don't say you believe in Christ if you're not willing to identify with Him. The last thing is we must be willing to follow through with all that we have. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We choose to serve the Lord. In a few minutes, we're going to have a baptism. And a baptism is a special time. It, 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 you know, it, it, I'm going to explain this now, and, and I may hit on it again in a minute. If we take somebody up to the waters of, baptism, of the baptistry, and we put them in the waters, and we put them down, and we bring them up, if they're a sinner when they go down, what are they when they come up? They're a wet sinner, right? It's not the waters. It's not the waters that save us. And I want to I understand that because I think, you know, sometimes people come to me and they say, I want to be baptized. Why do you want to be baptized? Because I want to join the church. Why do you want to join the church? Because I want to be saved. That's the wrong logic, God reaches down, touches us, and saves us. And then we want to unite with a local body. And then we come to the waters to make it public. Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve. It's not a one-time thing. Joshua didn't say, I chose under the leadership of Moses who I was going to serve. No, it's choose this day. When you wake up in the morning, all of you who are here, whether you chose it by yourself or somebody brought you here, chose this day in this hour to serve God. You chose by your participation here today to serve God. Now, will you choose in the morning to serve God? 
Will you choose on Tuesday to serve God? Will you choose on Wednesday to serve God? Because that's what it takes. It's an ongoing follow-through commitment. Yesterday I chose to serve. Today I'm choosing to serve. And tomorrow I'm choosing to serve. And it's not dependent upon how I feel. It's not dependent upon what society tells me is real. It's not dependent on chocolate, strawberry, vanilla, pistachio, or Rocky Road. It's because of God and who God is. That's why I'm serving. I'm serving in the good times. And I'm serving in the bad times. I'm serving on the mountaintop and I'm serving in the valleys not because of who I am but because of who God is we have come to a time of commitment what will we do with this time if you're struggling today if you are here today and you are struggling about your commitment to God then give yourself a choice give yourself a choice today you know there have been times that I have questioned my commitment to God there have been times in the last two plus decades that I've questioned, is, was it really God that called me to be a minister? Was it really God that called me to do this? Was it really God? Do I really want to do this? Is this really what I want to do or do I want to do something else? When I get in those times and I begin to struggle, I ask myself, what else would I rather do? What else would I rather do? And when you doubt your commitment to God, I want you to go to the bathroom and I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to look in the eyes of the person in the mirror and say, who else would I rather follow? Who else loves me like God loves me? Who else died for me like God died for me. Who else would I rather follow than the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And if you can truly look at yourself and say, I would rather follow something else, that's the choice that Joshua gave the people back then. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. The gods of the Amorites, the gods of, of, of the Egyptians, the gods of your forefathers. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. It is time for First Baptist Church of Crothersville to make a stand for God. It is time for this body of believers to make a stand for God. It's time for us to remember what God had done, has done for us. It is time for us to look back and remember where God rescued us from. It's time for us to repent and humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways. It is time for us to recommit and make a public stand for the only one worthy. We're going to have a word of prayer. And then we're going to open up the front of the church. Sarah, I'm going to ask you if you want to, to go ahead and get ready. Tanika's going to go with you. You, can, you all can go on up there and she'll, she'll help you get ready. We're going to open up the altar this morning. And I want you, in your mind's eye, in, in your heart of hearts, to go to your bathroom and look in the mirror. And I want you to ask yourself that question, who would I rather serve today? The God who loves me enough to die for me or anything else? And if you truly, truly, truly have come to the realization that you love God and no one else, then I want you this morning to ask God to light your heart on fire. I want you to ask Him to rekindle the passion and the fire that is within you. I want you to ask Him and beg of Him, God, put the fire back in me. Let me be passionate. Let me be strong 
in my witness, in my walk, in my work, and in everything that I do. And let my passion not depend on my situation, but let it totally and wholly depend on your goodness. Father, we come to you this morning, and we ask and we pray and we beg that you set us on fire as the men of God, as the women of God, as the husbands and the fathers, as the mothers and the wives, as the children, as the church. Crothersville, Indiana needs Jesus. And I'm asking you to use us. Father, we come before you today. We remember all that you are. Father, we come before you today and we repent of our sin and father we come before you today and we recommit and we reconnect and god we're going to open up this altar to anyone who needs to come and pray in jesus name amen set a fire down in my soul i can't contain i can't control because i won't move you god i won't move you Set a fire down in my soul I can't contain, Lord, I can't control Cause I want more of you, God I want more of you, God Cause I want more of you, God. Oh, 
church, do you want Jesus today? Do you want more and more and more and more? Then right where you are, ask him to set that fire. Set a fire down in my soul. Lord, I can't contain. Yes, Jesus. I can't control. Because I want more of you, God. Yeah, I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul. Lord, I can't contain. Can't control, cause I want more of you, God. I want more of you. 